your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 18 has been the focus of our study. The glory of the new covenant. I think this is like the uh, 10th message. I, I shared with you that when we moved into this text, it was going to keep stacking on top of itself. Uh, and uh, as you uh, listen to it, or if you get it online, or if you miss any part of it, you will miss something that is very valuable. Because it is um, what makes a servant, a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ adequate. Without it, Paul's conclusion was that they were false teachers. That's pretty harsh. That's pretty harsh. Um, so um, that's why I would say this is important. <laughs> okay, let's pray and we'll read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before your throne to hear you. Father, may your spirit and his power move in the heart of these people, myself. Father, as I always stand in awe of this, I pray that my brothers and my sisters will stand in awe too. And Father, even as the Apostle Paul defends the old covenant and the new, Father, may we rest in the assurance that the power of the new covenant is second to nothing. It has been given to us. It is a treasure. It is precious. And may our hearts be overwhelmed and delight in it. Help us, Father. Help us to hear you. In Christ's name. Amen. Who has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so as the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains, unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror... The glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We're looking at the glory of the new covenant, but we have a tendency at times to 
entangle ourselves in the old covenant. I don't want you to ever think to the point that the old covenant is not useful. But it had its means, it had its time, and now it is obsolete. What Paul does here is basically just in verses 6 through 18, he condenses the book of Hebrews. (laughs) The whole book is basically condensed. And the old covenant is now obsolete, and we are now under the new covenant. Pretty good, huh? That's sort of like Galatians. Galatians is a condensed version of Romans. All right? Both of them, I think the people are a little mad. Okay, when you read this text, we see there that this new covenant gives life. Verse 6, because it is empowered by the Spirit. Okay, the Spirit gives life. All right, the letter kills. I mean, it is just as simple. One's internal, one's external. The external cannot save you. Your, your, your most righteous deeds are as filthy rags before God. All right? And, and, and you and I, at times, we struggle with that because we think we should be doing. Part of doing is knowing what we are to be doing. And, and we sometimes get stuff in the way of what God is doing. He speaks here, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. All right. Now look what he says in verse 7. Because we're do, looking at something that the old covenant could not do. It was, do you please hear this? The old covenant, the law, had no ability whatsoever to produce righteousness. It was never given to Produce righteousness. You cannot find in the law of God, the old covenant, where salvation is offered up under the civil, the moral, or the ceremonial laws. Nowhere in there does it say you'll be saved. That's amazing. And yet I watch people today do what? Try to do it. They try to do it. If the ministry that was engraved on stones came with glory. Stop right there. What's he talking about? Now, he gets very specific here. Okay. There's only one ministry that was engraved on stones. Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. You see that in Exodus 32, verses 15 and 16. Then Moses turned away and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. The tablets which were written on both sides were written on one side and then on the other. The tablets were God's work and the writing was God's writing engraved on tablets. Okay. Whose work was it? Moses had been up on the mountain. He had been in the presence of God. You'll find out he was up there for 40 days. All right. And... He was given the law, Ten Commandments, written on stone. See, the stone signifies permanence. I wrote it on stone. It was God's work. It was God's writing in rock. Moses brought it down. And see, that's what's on Paul's mind here. What was the Ten Commandments? Well, basically, 
it would simplify the moral law. I mean, if you think about it, in Ten Commandments, he can cover every piece of society. There's nothing lacking. And he reduced the entire moral standard of God into Ten Commandments. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus, the Word incarnate, he condensed the entire Ten Commandments into two. Into two. So we have a problem. It says here that these are letters engraved on stones, but they came with glory. Right? God wrote his moral law in stone. And he wrote it for one purpose. It says it right there. It was a servant of what? A ministry of what? Death. Death. The law's intent was to kill, condemn, he says in verse 9. God wrote it on stone. Why? Make it permanent. See, the law's intent was to kill and only Christ can prevent it. I remember uh, talking to some Russians and they were talking about a Russian king. And um, he uh, ruled very generously and very graciously. But then he realized that somebody was stealing gold out of the king's treasury. And, um, you know, at first it wasn't really that big a deal. But then all of a sudden he started noticing more and more valuable things became missing. He put out a decree. Whoever he finds catches stealing the gold from the king's treasury will receive 50 lashes with a whip. And he doesn't care. This is uh, ordained by the king. And this is how it's going to come out. All right. Law was decreed. It went on for a couple more months. Gold was missing. And then one day he set a guard down there. And he hid him back over in the corner. And they waited, you know, a couple of days. And then all of a sudden the door cracked open. And someone come walking in. Grabbed a big bucket of gold. And started out. And they nabbed him. And it turned out to be the king's mother. Okay. She was in her mid-80s. But the law's decree was 50 lashes. And he just looked at his mom and he says, there's no way she will survive 50 lashes. But the law said... 50 lashes. So they marched her out into the courtyard and they tied her up to the post to prepare to whip her. They brought out the executioner. He brought out his whip. He got ready to hit it. And just as he was preparing to strike her the first time, the king stood up and covered her body with his and he took the 50 lashes. Because the law stands. And the law of the Lord is similar because it condemns you. But Christ covers you. The punishment that the law demands on you, Christ paid. Christ paid. Galatians 3 says, Christ bore the curse. 
See, the, the law came down when Moses brought the Ten Commandments down Mount Sinai. It was to crush life. And the law, the Ten Commandments, they crushed Christ's life. Yet, the law was crushed by Christ. See, these in letters engraved in stone, they're a killer. No one can stand in front of it. You cannot stand before it. Those running around thinking that they are going to heaven by keeping the moral law, by being a good person, guess what? Forget it. Forget it. The law of God will crush you into powder. Will utterly destroy you. It will condemn you. And yet, in that condemnation, in that ministry of death, there is glory. There is glory. And you can't stand under it and you face the crushing wrath of God unless you are protected by Christ. It hits him and will never touch us. You know, Christ experienced every heartache and pain that you and I could ever dream of. And he suffered it to its fullness. But there's one thing Christ suffered that you and I can never suffer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And because we are protected by the person of Christ and are under the glory of the new covenant, we will never be separated from God. Nothing in creation can separate us from God. In fact, His wrath can never touch us because He died in our place. The death has already been paid. So don't misunderstand that the law, the Ten Commandments that came in that mountain came with glory. I mean, when we read that, it's a ministry of condemnation. But I thought Jesus loved me. Yes, he do. It's a ministry of death. Why is, why is God so cranky? Because it was ordained that he, his law would stand. See, one of the things that when I think about the producing of righteousness that you and I miss, you and I have our level of righteousness, <laughs> don't it? And our level of righteousness is flexible. Okay? I mean, if, if oh, I just don't feel like jumping over that level, I'll lower it. <laughs> there we go. My level of righteousness, I can step over. Okay? And therefore, I maintain it. The problem is, that's not God's level of righteousness. God's level of righteousness is up here. And He doesn't grave on a curve. He can't. He's perfect. Listen, you don't think there wasn't glory with the giving of the Ten Commandments? With the lightning and the clouds and the thunder and it was mediated by angels? Really? God riding with a fiery finger on stone? 
Let me tell you something, man. There's glory all over that place. He said, you know what? I don't even want an animal to step up on this hill when I step down. If an animal steps up on that hill, it's dead. Oh, by the way, I only want Moses up here. Anybody else step up on this mountain? They're dead. There was all kinds of serious glory going on. And I'll tell you what, Israel was, oh, dude, I hope that mountain doesn't swallow Moses. You know, how long do we give him? <laughs> I mean, should we just go back to Egypt? Well, you know, we were there and there was lightning and there was clouds and there was thunder and there's angelic things going on and Moses is up there. <laughs> it had some glory with it, brothers and sisters. It had some glory. So we can't think that the law is less. What Paul sees in in what Moses did, Paul does not despise the law. We should not despise the law. It came with glory, Paul says. It had its place. Paul says it's holy, it is just, and it is good. What Paul despises is not the law, but the misuse of the law, the misrepresentation of the law. The law came with glory. End of verse 7. Moses, because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. What glory was he talking about? God's a glory that passed away that glory that passed away. Guess what has been replaced by the glory of the new covenant. The gospel. See, the new covenant gives life. Old covenant couldn't impossible. No part of it could. The civil part couldn't. The moral part couldn't. The ceremonial part couldn't. It, the new covenant produces righteousness. The old covenant can't. All it does is produce unrighteousness and show us that we are unrighteous sinners. The law, the old covenant just kills. That's all. It just kills. It can't produce anything. And yet what it does is show what is the standard of righteousness. It excited sin. It produced death. It produced sin. It produced condemnation. The new covenant produces life. The new covenant produces righteousness. And that's the foundation of this text. The rest of this text is based on this. And he illustrates it. He goes to Moses. I mean, he's going to get everybody's attention. He came out with God's glory all over his face. And he contrasts that to the saving glory of the new covenant. He takes the illustration of the old covenant in all of its glory. And he contrasts that to all of the glory of the new covenant. The new covenant and its glory that is only permanent. It's just permanent. That's all. Brothers and sisters, I I pray and I have been praying for you that you would view this as a treasure. This should be one of the most 
precious things to every Christian on the planet Earth. The superiority of the new covenant is basically reduced here in this passage. What the writer of Hebrew did in that whole book, Paul does in 6 through 18. This text must be expanded and explained and expounded and embraced. And it should be something that we continue to feed on moment by moment, day by day. Paul wants to make it very clear that the new covenant is superior to the old. See, false had come into Corinth, and they do it today, and they want the old covenant to be equal to the new covenant. They want the old covenant to be eternal. They want the old covenant to have its... The equal importance as the new covenant. And you know what it does? It causes confusion in the church. I see the church is confused about it today. But when they bring the two in and they try to mix them together, it is deception. It is sacramentalism. You will see the rise of priestly ministries, rituals, ceremonies, and routines. And I will argue... Over and over and over until the day that my faith becomes sight. That it's just external. It clouds spiritual reality. I I watch people get cranky about music. What music are you listening to? What TV shows are you watching? Um, What magazines do you read? Really? That's external people. That is all external. Paul is taking a stance. Now remember what I said about this book when we started this thing. 2 Corinthians is based on what? Ministry. And if I'm going to be a minister, then I need to have something to give. What is it? New covenant. The new covenant. We have been made adequate. And yet the false are in the church today as they were at the writing of the Corinthian letters and they were ministers of the old covenant. Literally believing that circumcision will add to your salvation. Really? That's kind of corny if you really think about it. Paul is saying the new covenant is far better and any true minister of God serves the new covenant gospel. The new covenant truth. It's not rituals. You know how people say, well, shouldn't we be meeting for church on Saturday? Why? You know when they met in the writing of the New Testament? Every day. Are you up for it? I am. Why? We worship in spirit and truth. Living sacrifice. Paul is saying that we need to understand this new covenant because new covenant was the message that the apostle Paul preached. New covenant is the message of any faithful preacher. If you look at the history of the life of the church, when it thrives, it has a new covenant message and a new covenant preacher. If you look at the theology of the new covenant, it rejects salvation by works. 
The new covenant rejects salvation by circumcision, rejects salvation by rituals. It rejects salvation by ceremonies. And it's adamant against it. I mean, one of the reasons that Luther went against the Roman Catholic Church was because he was watching it. And he says, look what they're doing. There's nothing in here. He had read through the book of Galatians and says, I read Galatians. I look at the Vatican and the two shall never come together. I mean, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You have begun in the spirit. You're now perfected in the flesh. And he learned that because he went up to Rome one time, um, Luther did, and they were paying to crawl up the steps that supposedly went up to Pilate's judgment seat. And they would pay to crawl on their hands and knees up the steps that Christ would have had been sentenced on by Pontius Pilate. Now, you would look at that and think, but you paid. But what they realized was they had too many people, so they put another set of steps around back, and you could go up those two, but you still paid. Really? Come on. That's just not right, people. The new covenant rejects the external. And salvation is bound up in the new covenant only. It is nowhere else. See, the old covenant, we looked at this in in Galatians 3 and in Romans 7, points to the new covenant. It says, look, you're condemned. You're dead. The law is spiritual. You're flesh. You can't do it. Go be, be like the publican and beat on your chest and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. The civil, the moral, the ceremonial, none of it can save you. And what it does is condemn you and then you cry out for mercy. Many try to use the pictures as a means of salvation. They still do it today. The letter, that's the external. See, the new covenant brings righteousness. The new covenant provides righteousness. The new covenant produces righteousness. By deeds of the law, no flesh shall be made righteous, Romans 3 says. No one can please God without what? Faith. You can't do it. There's nothing you can do physically to please God. Did you know that? That's kind of depressing, isn't it? The reason is, is that the flesh has no ability to fulfill spiritual duties. Your performance cannot please God. Now, I'm going to show you some things here because this is really a cool thing. In the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse 29. And it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai. Now, remember, verse 28. He had been there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread, drink water. Okay. Wrote the tablets of words of the covenant, Ten Commandments. Came about, verse 29, came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, 
two tablets of the testimony in Moses' hands. He's coming down from the mountain. That Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. Okay, he was speaking with God up there 40 days and 40 nights. And he didn't realize that his face shone. Okay, he was glowing. He, 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 to use the vernacular of my generation, he was lit up in a good way. In a good way. He had had an experience, shall we say. He was led to Mount Sinai by God to receive the law. He spoke with God and was given the law. Okay. Now, the law, when I think about the Ten Commandments, it reflects his nature. God's nature. But it also reflects God's will for man. All right. All right. Now, I want you to think about this for a second because you've got to get a hold of this. Up until this time, we don't have Ten Commandments. Right? So God takes this man, Moses, and he takes him up on the mountainside, up on the top of Mount Sinai, and shows up. Now, this has a little problem to it, because God is spirit. Okay? I mean, how do you do that? How can me of the flesh be with God the spirit? Well... God made himself visible. We call it God manifested himself. He did it in his glory and he did it through the vehicle of light. God was there and he was bright. All right. You and I would know that term in the book of Exodus is used many times. We call it Shekinah. Okay, the Shekinah glory of God. Okay, do you know what the word Shekinah means? Well, you will in a minute. No, it means presence. The presence of glory. All right, so Moses is up there with God. He's talking with God. And you see it when he appears as a, as a cloud, as a pillar of fire. He manifests himself, but there's always this bright light. When you look at the tabernacle after it's built, you'll see this bright light in this tabernacle. And that is the presence of God. God is there. Remember when they put the uh, 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 Ark of the Covenant in the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies? And once a year, God would show up. Okay, but they freaked everybody out and they had these three layer veil so that nobody could see. And of course, all the priests that went in there, they, oh, yeah, that's all good. You know, they're not going to come out and say, he didn't show up, man. It was crickets. <laughs> you know, they're all going to say, yeah, sure, God was there. Remember in Exodus 33, Moses said, show me your glory. And he says, I hid you in the cleft of a rock. And I walked past because you were not able to look directly at my glory and not perish. See, Moses had been up on Mount Sinai with God. Moses had been up there in the presence of God. Understand, God is spirit. And when he manifested himself to Moses, it was this bright light. When he came down, okay, now when he comes down... He don't have a mirror, but this guy comes down and looks like an incandescent bulb. 
All right. Now, listen, I can go up on top of a mountain, a big old thunderstorm come through and I come down and say, man, I've been with God. Sure you have. You go up on a mountaintop and a big thunderstorm come around and you come down looking like an incandescent bulb. You might get somebody. I'm, I'm in. I'm believing. But he had God's glory was radiating off of his face. Luke says here, so when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, I love that, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. That boy's been up at Three Mile Island, I can tell. He's had a Chernobyl experience. He'd been in the presence of God and they were afraid to get nose next to him. Verse 31, Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him and Moses spoke to them. All right. They were afraid. Why? He was a glowing. Listen, this is more than just a shimmer thing going on. You've got to get a hold of this. Okay. He called to them and he spoke to them. All right. He had spoke with God. So his face would be like the blazing sun. If you go back to your text and and it says that the sons of Israel could not look intently at him. You know what that is? Listen, if you look out the window right now, ask yourself a simple question. Is the sun up? How do you know? But I can't see the sun. Right. And you know what? I bet you, you can't go out and just look at it either. Can you? No. You'll look to the left or to the right or below it. You can feel the heat radiate off of it. You see shadows everywhere. And that's what terminology is used to speak of what was going on with Moses. You couldn't look at him. You could, it says that the sons of Israel could not intently gaze at him. He was so bright that you had to do, yo dude, turn it down. That's amazing stuff. You can't fake that. That's the terminology that is used, brothers and sisters. We're not talking the Charlton Heston thing and he came back and his hair looks different. We're talking, dude, what happened? Gosh, go somewhere else. Are you on fire? I can give you a a slight parallel to this, but I want you to remember what we're talking about. We're looking at ministry and the old covenant versus the new covenant. There was the blinding glory of God. And God, when he spoke with God, he would remove the veil. When he come back down to talk to Israel, he would speak with the veil Open, they're all going, oh, mercy. All right. And then when he got done and says, you want to go get pizza? He'd put the veil back over. I don't know if they'd go get pizza, but <laughs> you know what? I'm, if we're going to have a casual conversation, I'll shut the bulb off. But then it would slowly fade away until he went back into his presence again. See, when Moses stopped speaking the direct words of God, he'd put the veil over his face. So he'd stop blinding the people. And it was to the degree of being in that Shekinah 
the people could not look directly at him. That's amazing to me. Let me give you a parallel to this to let you think about it for a second. In the uh, Gospel of Matthew, the 17th chapter, we have a thing that we call the transfiguration, right? What was that? He took his disciples up, or some of his disciples up on a mountainside, and what did he do? He pulled back his humanity to show his glory. Let me show you the light, boys. Right? Right? That's a parallel passage to what Moses did, except for one thing. The old covenant is exterior. The new covenant is internal. He had it on the inside. Moses had it on the outside. Still the same blazing light because the response was the same. It says the nation of Israel, when Moses came down the hill, they were afraid. Okay, if you read Matthew chapter 17, you'll find out the disciples, when he pulled back in and showed his glory, what did they do? They fell to the ground as dead. Right? One is external, one is internal. The law came with glory because the law is reflective of God. Couldn't even look on it. The word there in 2 Corinthians 3, 7, look intently on, it has, they couldn't fix on, they couldn't gaze on it, they couldn't stare at it. It's, it's like I used the illustration. You can't stare at the sun. You can't look intently at the sun. The glory was so brilliant, so shining, so great, they had to turn their eyes from it. Remember, when Moses asked to see God. He says, you can't see me, but you can see me as I pass. Why? Because my glory will destroy you. Isn't that awesome? Now, you see why I get excited about this? I mean, old covenant, new covenant, Jimmy, Craig, it sounds like a history lesson. It does. It's what the Apostle Paul fought for. It's what we should be fighting for. It's what we should be trying to stand in. Because he says here, So that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. Okay, now, he says in verse 9, For if the ministry of condemnation has glory... Now stop right there for a minute. Would not the ministry of righteousness abound in glory? Wouldn't it? I mean, if he can come down in the presence to bring the Ten Commandments, that is a ministry of death, and the nation of Israel could not even look at him intently, could not stare at him, could not gaze at him because of the glory being reflected, then if the Spirit gives life, and it is internal, That's an interesting concept the old boy Paul's got there, don't you think? Look what he says. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? <laughs> Here, i got a stupid question for you. Have you ever thought about that? We 
think about it, you know, Charlton Heston going up there and flash and bing and all that other stuff, and he comes back down, and everybody freaks out and can't look at him and all the rest of that, and we think, wow, man, that's totally awesome. And yet, the covenant we have abounds in more glory. See, that one there couldn't save you. It just told you, you need to get saved. It's a killer. It condemns. It cannot save you. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Listen. It condemns. Okay? If you take contextually here, the engraved on stones came with glory. We know that he's talking both sides. It was written on by the fiery finger of God, mediated by angels, and he brought it down. Right? But it was to kill. It was designed to bring the sinner to the knowledge of their sin. As we looked at last week, it was to tutor us to Christ, to schoolmaster us to Christ. It was bondage to shut us up. So we had no alternatives. We were bound up in it. It was to take command over us. Don't we love it when someone tells you you have to do something? We just jump up and down and go, oh, great. I'm in. Right? Some of you are being honest. Others are like, I've not been nothing yet. Right? When somebody says, I don't want you to do this, but I want you to do that, what is your first response? Bet me. Bet me. You ever thought about that? Isn't that what the law does? It excites sin. That's all it does. And it's commanding. It commands this. It commands that. Don't do this. You know, you got to meet on the Sabbath. You got to do this. I don't want you to wear wool and cotton together. I don't want you to eat this food. I don't want you to eat that food. I want you to be this way. I want you to be that way. I want you to give this much. Your first fruits, your firstborn animals, your livestock, da 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 da. I want to give it. Got it? Got it? Got it. And we all stand there and go, what? Ain't that what we do? It commands us. But that's the law on stone, right? The Spirit gives life. Why? The Spirit gives life because it takes God's law, God's commands, and the Spirit writes them on our hearts. So it becomes our nature. Whose nature would we be reflecting? God's nature. Look at verse 18. Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. What image is that that we are being transformed in? The Lord's. Behold in a mirror what? The glory of who? Because it is in our Hearts, and now it comes out and is seen. That's why you can go from, uh, remember the Beatitudes? Blessed is the poor in spirit, 
Okay, that poor in spirit literally means a beggar. I don't have nothing unless somebody drops a crumb off a table. That's all I have. It's, I mean, it's more than poor. It's a beggar. Okay, blessed are the beggar in spirit. Why? Because they know that they have been condemned and are dead because of the law. But now they are blessed. Why? They are indwelt by the Spirit who has taken the law of God and written it in their hearts. Instead of going up on Mount Sinai and getting the reflective glory of God. It's just like the moon. Okay? When the moon shines, what's its light source? And all it does is reflect. The true source is the sun. We no longer are in the position of reflecting. Are you getting any of this? You are now the source. If you're saved. If you're saved. So why would I want to go back to rituals and ceremonies? How could David... David had some character flaws. Don't, don't you think? One or two. Okay. I mean, kind of... Anytime there was a cookie jar, he had his hand in it. Okay, it's just, it was just an amazing thing if you really think about it. But how can that same man... Say, I delight in your law. How can that same man say, I meditate in your law? You want to see a man who loves the word of God? Read Psalm 119. Its whole focus is the word and the law. That's all it is. And it just praises over and over and over. And this is after Bathsheba. How do you do that? How's come you ain't walking around going, oh, I'm a worm. It's written on his heart. Listen, let me tell you something. I'm going to close with this thought. If you have problems reading your Bible today, do you ever think that maybe you're not saved? Because if the Holy Spirit... Indwells my soul. Wouldn't there not be an overwhelming desire to have his law in my conscience? Everywhere I go. And I should be delighting on it. And meditating on it. It should be something that I think, this is going to be a blast. Now I know, you, and some of you guys probably don't have to deal with this. There's times when I've sort of been an old poo, and when I read the Bible, I feel even pooier. I know you guys don't, and you know, I'll let you get your own dictionary and find out what poo means. <laughs> okay? But isn't it true? If you've got to have somebody hold a gun to your head to read the Bible, you've got a very serious problem. That means you are an external Christian. You ever thought about that? Do you know the definition of an external Christian by the Apostle Paul? You want me to say it or you guys just want to think about it? 
It's called false. You know what that means, right? Not true. That's why I try to get people to say, do you really understand the difference between the Old and the New Covenant? The Old Covenant should crush you. And you should be going, oh my Lord, I am doomed. And then all of a sudden you find the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And you're like, I want to be overwhelmed. And I want to walk in the Shekinah of my Creator and my Savior. I don't want to be a moon. I want to be a sun. And you can spell that either way. S-U-N or S-O-N. See the difference? And it's just that simple. I mean, when I thought about the Mount of Transfiguration versus Mount Sinai, okay, I walked on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know what? It sure don't look like nothing happened there. Nah, that's not true. They've got a church of the Transfiguration. Well, they do. But they got a church any time something happened. We've got the church of the fish and loaves. They've got a church of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, you name it. Something happened here, we got a church. Uh, and then it's funny because you've got, to have to ha- you've got an Orthodox church and then you've got a Catholic church. And both of them claim to be the right place. Anyway, I walked on that Mount of Transfiguration. It's more of a hillside. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, I don't see nothing there. I mean, it's do-do-do-do. Okay, now they tell me that there's a mountain out in the Sinai Peninsula and the whole top of it is blackened. And that's where God showed up. And he kind of burnt the dirt, whatever. Um, I haven't been up there, haven't gone there. Uh, to be honest with you, it's under Egyptian control. I don't want to. <laughs> um, but I have seen men and women and dwelt by the person of the Holy Spirit who reflected the Shekinah of God. I have seen men preach in the past that it is almost like they're getting brighter and brighter. And you're like, I hope this all turns out okay. Because <laughs> it's awesome. I have seen people, I've sat down at dinner tables with people to discuss the things of the Lord and you could see the reflective or, or the internal workings of God in their lives and they began to glow with Christendom. I've seen guys that I had to speak with through a translator who you could see the glow of Christ in. But they were firmly grasping the old covenant versus the new covenant. And that the old covenant had its purpose and it had a lot of glory with it. That's the illustration the Apostle Paul is using here. It says, let me tell you about the glory of the Ten Commandments coming down off of Mount Sinai. But now let me tell you about the glory of the gospel in the hearts of fallen men and women and the power and glory and majesty that it shows. And the Holy Spirit, who was there in creation, there in redemption, there in glory, writes God's law on the hearts of men and women. And it's not external, it's internal. And you can see it in people, men and women, you see it. It's awesome. But I warn you, 
you have no delight in the word of the Lord, I ask you to deal with this one problem then. And the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And if you don't have a delight in that, are you deceived? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the new covenant. And Father, thank you by your grace, your mercy, your provision. We who are gathered here live in light of the new covenant. But Father, let none of us be deceived. Let us embrace it. Let us delight in it. And Father, let us immerse ourselves in the amazement of this good news. Yes, Father, we understand that your moral law was written in stone so we would have it for eternity. But Father, we thank you that your spirit has written it in our hearts that we may walk in a manner worthy of our great calling. Thank you, Lord, for the Apostle Paul. Thank you so much. Father, thank you for King David. And even uh, the things he did, he took delight in the law and he meditated in the law. Father, may we, even though the things we've done and the things we will probably end up doing, may we still delight in your law. May we meditate on it. May it be a treasure to us in the things that we do and things that we say. And as we walk this life, may we grow in this understanding and amazement to your glory and praise. Amen.